You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. I've really missed you guys. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I have not been around. So between like traveling and our kids just getting sick over and over and over, um, man, it's just, yeah, I've just missed you guys so much. So um, <laughs> I'm just so grateful to be here today um, and uh, just with you guys and then also preaching God's word. Um, it's, yeah, it's just a really great Sunday for me. So, um, and uh, like Ovi said at the beginning, uh, we, we should take this family seriously. And, uh, and I really do. I really appreciate you guys and, uh, and I, I missed you a lot. So um, that being said, uh, we are uh, still going through Sermon on the Mount. Um, and uh, if you haven't been with us, uh, we've, uh, we're actually just finishing uh, the first section of the body uh, portion of the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, if, uh, if anyone remembers, I think we, we went over this, or maybe I went over this when I uh, did the first, uh, the intro to the Sermon on the Mount, but it's actually divided, the Sermon on the Mount is divided into a couple different sections. So the first one is kind of the intro. It starts with the Beatitudes and then Jesus gets into be salt and light. And then he talks about how I came to fulfill the law uh, and now abolish the law, right? So that's kind of the intro portion. And then that gets into the body of the sermon. And the body of the sermon kind of goes on for uh, all the way from the rest of five to uh, chapter seven. So the first section uh, of the body uh, is this kind of idea where, where Jesus is, he's creating this thesis antithesis structure right? So you've heard it said something, and then he adds this antithesis, or he kind of ups the ante, right? Um, like, for example, he, he talks about, you've heard, don't murder, right? Because then you'll be uh, committed under the law. But I tell you, right, the antithesis, I tell you that uh, even if you have anger against your brother, you'll be committed uh, under the law, right? Um, or uh, you've heard, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you have lust after a woman, uh, then you've already committed adultery in your heart with her, right? And, uh, and so this portion of scripture, like I said, is kind of this, like, this thesis, antithesis structure. And today we're actually going to end that portion of the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna move on to a different uh, portion of the body of that sermon. And, uh, and really what's, what's been going on, and again, hopefully you guys have been able to, uh, to kind of keep up uh, or um, maybe if you've missed sermons like I have, uh, you can go back and actually listen to them on the podcasts. But a lot of these, uh, what, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's, uh, he's not necessarily changing the law, but he is kind of increasing the standards. And the last thing that he said before he moved into this section was, uh, surely I tell you that if you, uh, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, Right? which is terrible news, right? Like that's just awful news because the Pharisees, I mean, they were the ones that were doing it, right? Supposedly. And then Jesus is like, yeah, they're still not quite there, right? And then he gets into, this is, this is actually what it looks like. And it's, it's almost this, and I've used this analogy before. So if you're sick of it, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna use it again. But it's this idea that it's almost as if Jesus is saying, yeah, but you know the law, you know the law that the Pharisees, they, they try so hard to, uh, to, to live after and strive after. Uh, it's kind of like playing with Nerf darts, right? You want to play with live ammo? You want to see what this actually looks like? 
here's the rules. And, he, and he's, he's, he's now elevating everything up to where, man, you, you really want to play this game? This, this is what's at stake. This is what this actually looks like, right? Don't murder, okay, yeah, yeah, nerf darts, right? Don't have anger in your heart, right? Don't commit adultery, yeah, yeah, that's a nerf dart, right? Don't lust after another person, right? And so, and, and this is kind of what led us to last week, uh, which was a really tough uh, tough portion of this uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, when I was looking at the sermon calendar and I saw that this was my passage, I, I had to go out of town. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but I do appreciate you taking my sermon. <laughs> I promise. I didn't do it on purpose, but I was grateful. So, <laughs> so last week, if you didn't, if you didn't know, uh, this is, and I'm just going to read it for us, uh, because what happened last week and what's happening this week, they're very closely intertwined, and, uh, and we need to kind of know what Jesus was setting up last week, and then now what he is getting into this week. So, uh, it started in Matthew 5, 38, uh, and it should be on the screen for you. And uh, in the sermon last week went over, uh, you have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, but I say to you, Do not show opposition against an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other toward him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him also have your cloak. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow you. And again, that's a a, a hard, hard lesson to learn. And it's, it's really loaded, and there's a lot of questions that kind of come out of that. And again, if you have questions, or if you weren't here last week, I encourage you, go to, go to the podcast and actually listen to, uh, to that sermon where, where Ovi kind of unpacks that. And if, if and when you have questions as you kind of work through that, uh, talk to Ovi about that, not me. But uh, this, it, it is, it, this, is, this is a tough lesson, Right? Because there's so much built inside of us as humans that so desperately want justice, right? But then at the same time, when we start actually considering our sin and considering our brokenness, now suddenly we beg for mercy, don't we? And Jesus, is, is, he's kind of laying this out where he says, you all need mercy, like we, we, ha- we are in no position to demand justice because if we demand justice, then we should expect nothing from God. And Jesus, he's, he's making this very clear where he says the way my disciples behave, right? How do you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? How do you actually get into the kingdom of heaven? What's expected of my disciples? What's expected is that when someone does evil against you, an evil person, don't oppose them. And again, the natural order is eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? But Jesus is saying, uh, yeah, mercy for tooth, right? Someone takes your tooth, you offer them mercy. You offer them forgiveness. And Ovi did a great job in kind of explaining that like there's this natural order of like kind of almost accidentally escalating conflicts. And Jesus says, good news, we don't have to worry about that because you're not going to even take, uh, take revenge or you're not even going to administer justice yourself at all. You don't have to worry about it. And, and 
And again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to re-preach it, but if you weren't here last week, uh, please go back and listen to that sermon. But this leads us to our, uh, our portion or passage for today. And that's Matthew 5, 43. And Jesus went on and said, you have heard it said that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do, um, even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles Do they not do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So what's important about these two sections is they're highlighting two different concepts, right? Just like I said, uh, the the portion from last week was talking about mercy, right? When When someone gives you evil, you give them mercy. Jesus is now transitioning into something else known as grace, which seems very similar, but they are very different. And I want to make sure that that's, uh, that's kind of understood. And so mercy, what mercy is, is mercy is not receiving a judgment that is deserved. Okay? That's what mercy is. So you're not getting something, but that you do deserve that something, right? Namely judgment. What grace is, is that you are receiving something, namely a reward. You are receiving a reward that is not deserved, right? So you see how they're very similar, but they're, very, they're also wildly different. And that's what Jesus is kind of getting at here, where last week he says, when someone takes your tooth, you give them mercy, right? But now it's your enemies, you just give them love, give them a reward, give them something that benefits them, benefits their personhood. And so what, what's, what's happening here is Jesus is saying, give them mercy and also give them grace, not only not giving them what they do deserve, but also then giving them something that they don't deserve, namely benefit. So as we kind of work through this passage, there's two points that I want us to kind of focus on uh, this morning. So there's two points. Loving our enemies and praying for our persecutors, first of all, reflects the nature of our God and Father and also shapes us into the image of Jesus Christ. Again, loving our enemies and praying for our persecutors, it reflects the nature of our God and Father and it shapes us into the image of Christ. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll go ahead and, uh, and get going through this passage. Dear God, I just thank you for today. I just thank you for this church. Thank you for this opportunity for us to, uh, to look at your words. And, um, and I ask that you just you open our hearts and you open our minds to, uh, to what you want to say to your church and to your people. And, uh, and I ask that you just not only remove me from the equation, but, uh, but you just remove all of, our, um, all of our pride, all of our arrogance, and that you just... You humble us and, uh, and convict us and, uh, and just continue to sanctify us uh, 
and shape us into the image of your son. And uh, we love you. And I just thank you again for everything that you have given to us. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I would like to, uh, like, like I said, the first point uh, that we are going to talk about is, uh, is loving our enemies and praying for our persecutors reflects the nature of our God and Father. So the first portion of the text I'm going to kind of camp out on is, uh, is this first half, and that's 43 and 44. Uh, so I'll just read it one more time, and then as we, as we go, I'll stop and continue uh, talking about it. So verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We'll stop right there. Love your neighbor. Okay, we, we know that. That's a pretty well-known biblical principle. We also know it's in Leviticus 19 and we can find where that is. Uh, but hate your enemy. Uh, that's, uh, that's a bit unknown uh, in terms of where is Jesus getting this, Right? You've heard it said that you should love your enemy or you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Um, So there is some debate on this and I did want to spend some time talking about this. And so if we do go to Leviticus 19, uh, where we find this command to love your neighbor, um, at least the first time uh, that the Jewish people were given this commandment. And uh, and in this commandment, uh, or Leviticus 19, uh, it says, you shall hate your fellow countrymen. uh, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. Uh, you may certainly rebuke your neighbor, but you are not to incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there is some speculation. Uh, maybe this first portion, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen. And so maybe some Jewish people uh, within the culture have taken that or took that to mean at that time where, okay, well, I should not hate my fellow countrymen. So I, it would be permissible for me to hate not countrymen, right? Uh, and then if you're, if you're really righteous, maybe, in fact, maybe you take it a step further, maybe you should hate them, right? Um, so that's mostly speculatory, okay? Um, that's not necessarily something that we find in rabbinic writings uh, or, uh, or religious teachings. Uh, the closest thing that we can find uh, is there was something, there was a community known as the Qumran. That's where we kind of, where we got the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, and we have like some instructions for their community. And in their community, uh, they commanded people to love the sons of light and to hate the sons of darkness, Right? That's like the closest we can get to that. And, uh, and that, is, that is kind of at play. Uh, it's not entirely clear on if, if that's just idiomatic of we should hate what they do so much that it would look like we hate them. That's also a possibility. Um, but regardless, uh, this is kind of the, at least the flavor of the day. And you see this in how the Jewish people interacted with say like tax collectors uh, or Gentiles um, or prostitutes or something like this. They definitely treated these individuals with contempt and hatred, right? Um, and they often viewed them, even though some of them, the, those, namely the prostitutes and uh, tax collectors, they were Jewish, right? But they were viewed within the Jewish community as not Jewish, right? It's almost as if they revoked their Judaism card and they're no longer allowed within the community. So uh, that, that certainly was kind of the, the feel of the day, uh, and that certainly was perpetuated by religious leaders. Um, what we do have in religious writings from that time is, uh, is that uh, 
religious leaders, they actually said, hey, it's, if you lie to a tax collector, uh, God kind of just looks the other way, right? Uh, like it doesn't count if you lie to a tax collector, right? So great religious writings, right? So they certainly did have this disdain or this, uh, this hatred uh, that certainly was evident uh, during that time. Uh, but this command specifically, we don't necessarily find it, uh, but perhaps Jesus is just spe- uh, specifically teaching or speaking on this idea in the culture. So uh, back to Matthew uh, 5, and we'll go back to Leviticus in, uh, in just a little bit. But uh, it says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And again, that's a, that's a direct quote right out of, uh, um, right out of the uh, Leviticus. But verse 44, it says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, what's interesting about this is that everything changed from the singular to the plural. I don't know if you guys noticed that, right? And Leviticus actually does this where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Singular. But then Jesus, when he talks about it, he says, nah, that's Nerf dart, right? You want to play with live ammo? Let's let's up the ante, right? Love your neighbor. No, no, love your enemies, all of them. You don't just get to pick one, right? It's all of them. And then what's more is, and then also pray for those who persecute you. Again, plural, those, your persecutors. And this is, this is this idea of Jesus is expanding not only out of the neighborhood, right? Not, not just out of neighbors, but to enemies. And then not just from an enemy, but to all your enemies, universal, and this, is, this uh, definitely expands things. It definitely ups the ante. Uh, but what, uh, what we often miss in this is, uh, well, just like the lawyer who went to Jesus and he asked him, what do I do, need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? Right? And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, you got it. Do it perfectly. Don't screw up. And, uh, and then the lawyer is just like, but who's my neighbor? Right? And then he gets into the Good Samaritan. So, uh, just like the good lawyer uh, that we are, when Jesus says, we'll love your enemies, we should be asking ourselves, well, who's our enemies, right? How do I get out of this? And, uh, and that's, that's an interesting question. Who are our enemies? And I've heard this, this passage preached, and some people say like these enemies, it's like, it's these people that just, you know, they just get under your skin. It's the people that almost like a rival or just people that you're constantly in opposition with. Um, that's kind of downplaying it. Uh, the word that Jesus uses here uh, is this very specific word um, that creates, it almost creates this very vehement word picture. An enemy here is someone that actually not only just opposes you, but is someone that is actively showing aggression towards you. Uh, in uh, one of the lexicons I was, I was, uh, I was reading, it says uh, they're actually it's, a, it's an individual that's animated by their personal hatred toward another person, like literally vivified. It's the reason why they're alive in that moment is just to cause you harm. That's the enemy that we're supposed to love. And this, this, gets, this gets visceral, right? Like, how, how do we do this? What, what's happening? Like, okay, let's imagine that we're just driving and, you know, heaven forbid you make a mistake and cut someone off, Right? Someone starts getting this intense road rage. They want to pull you out of the car and beat you up. You just be like, well, Jesus told me, 
supposed to love them. So you just let them? Like what, what are we being invited into, right? Someone that's actively showing aggression towards you, right? Someone that wants to seek you harm right now. We just love them. And again, our natural human reaction is, well, no, we, we should defend ourselves. We should stop whatever harm is going to take place. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 love those people. Love your enemies. So what, what is this? Is, is he inviting us to just be doormats like Ovi talked about last week? And this, this is, and different denominations have interpreted this differently. And this is why some, some groups of Christians have become pacifists. But um, largely what's being communicated is that Jesus is talking. And again, the whole context of this portion of scripture uh, is that Jesus is saying, uh, and even said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who persecute you in my name or for my name's sake. This is exactly what he's talking about, right? People that seek or are your enemy because, uh, because you claim Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? We all seeing that? Okay. And so it's not necessarily someone that just drags you out of the car because they need to, I don't know, kick the dog or something, but it's someone that actually seeks your harm because you claim Christ. And now to the readers of Matthew, this would have made a lot more sense. A little bit of cultural context, what's happening at the time that Matthew was writing is that there were people that were actively seeking the harm of all Christians. They were seizing their homes, they were seizing their property, they were seizing their money, right? They were seizing their kids. You can see how these people actively desired the destruction and harm of Christians in that day. And so when, they, when the readers of Matthew read Jesus saying this, it would have meant something to them. Love those people. They're taking everything from you. They want your destruction. They sit at home and just devise new ways to hurt you. And your response is to love them. Give them grace, something that they don't deserve. Give them love. And then what's more is that you should pray for those who persecute you. Now, those who persecute you, this is also this idea that these people, these people have now gone beyond someone that's showing hostility or someone that desires to give you harm or someone that's, uh, that's actually animated by their hatred toward you, but someone that's actually already started the process. They've already started dismantling your life and they're already looking for new ways to harm you. And Jesus says, pray for those guys. And this prayer is not, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, right? Where, uh, where that one uh, guy asked the rabbi, he says, is there any blessing for the czar? And, and the rabbi is like, oh yeah, that's easy, right? Uh, and he says, uh, God bless the czar and keep him far away from us, right? And this is this idea that, yeah, you, okay, you can pray, but you just pray that like God stops them or God, uh, he corrects them or whatever, and that, that would still be a good prayer because what's being communicated here is this pray for those who persecute you. This prayer is something where you actually intercede on their behalf to God. You actually approach the throne room of God on their behalf and beg God that he benefits their lives. That's, that's hard. And again, this is something that we often don't have to deal with within, uh, within our country. Praise the Lord for that. But this is, this, is some, this, is, this idea that someone that's actually seeking your destruction and seeking your harm and showing open hostility toward you because you claim Jesus Christ 
And Jesus wants us to not only love them, but also offer intercessory prayer on their behalf that God would forgive them and love them and redeem and save their souls. This is a high calling. This is hard to execute. But something else I want to make very clear is this question of what does it look like to actually love our enemy? And I don't want to get too lost in the weeds. I'm sure everyone knows that there's different words in Greek for love. Okay, it's agape. Spoiler alert. Okay, that's the end of the point, right? So we don't need to spend more time on that. It's agape. It's a, self, it's a self-sacrificing love, okay? We don't have to get into all the loves that it didn't talk about. But what is interesting is that back to Leviticus, it says, uh, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart, you may certainly rebuke your neighbor, but you are not to incur sin because of him. And then it goes on to say, uh, you shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So from the perspective of Leviticus, loving your neighbor as yourself and rebuking your neighbor go hand in hand, don't they? And I want to make this very clear because what God is not, or what Jesus is not inviting us into, he's not inviting us into just being doormats or what Ovi talked about last week, where you just allow evil to run rampant. We don't watch evil occur and we just say, well, I just need to stay out of it because Jesus told me to. No, it's actually our responsibility to shine light in a dark world, right? And it is our responsibility to now, if it's not our neighbor, but it's everybody, it is now our responsibility to, you may certainly rebuke everybody. Okay, and this takes some wisdom, right? Don't just go around shouting at people. But I'm sure you get the point. We don't need to avoid confrontation. We don't need to avoid uh, confronting sin. That's not what love is. And I know the world really, really wants that to be true. And I hear this all the time where it's, well, you're not being loving, because you're calling out sin or you're telling someone that they're living in sin. That's not very loving. The Bible would disagree, right? And if what Jesus is saying is that we should love our enemies in the same way that we should be loving our neighbors, then we should expect rebuke to follow. This portion of the commandment was not modified, right? And so uh, you may certainly rebuke your neighbor, but, and this is the the big but is, but you are not to incur sin because of him. And again, this gets into this whole component of don't just go around just yelling at people, right? The heart of God is reconciliation. The heart of God is redemption. And so when we call out sin in our broken world, this is the intention of why we do it. We don't call out sin to make people uncomfortable, though it will make people uncomfortable. We call out sin so that uh, we can cause a broken world to glorify our holy God. And so back to Matthew 5, now that we've laid the groundwork, we know who our enemies are. We know what loving our enemies looks like. We know what praying is interceding on their behalf for, for their benefit uh, and the persecutors, the people that are actively doing it. So we got all the players kind of in our heads. We've, we've established who everybody is and what we're being commanded to do. And what's super convenient, and I really appreciate this, is that Jesus just doesn't give us these commandments and he's like, do this, right? 
which is often what we find in, say, Leviticus. But what Jesus does is he says, do this. This is what my disciples look like. This is how you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. This is how you get into the kingdom of God. But then he explains, so that, and he explains why. He explains what's going on. He explains a mechanism of action, what's happening behind what's actually uh, occurring. And so in verse 45, he says, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, what's interesting about this is the last time we saw Jesus say, uh, your father who is in heaven, it was actually back in the introduction. And that was in Matthew 5, 15. And he, talk, he was talking about being light of the world. And so Jesus was talking about, you are, light, you are the light of the world, right? A city on a hill, can't be hidden. You're like a lamp that's stuck on a lampstand and it shines light on everybody in the house. And then he says, you do this so that your good works are before all people, even your enemies, before all people, so that they will glorify your father who is in heaven. So that's what's, that's what's going on. And, and there's, there's this interesting tie because the last time we saw Jesus use this word, your father in heaven, he was talking about light. And now what we see is that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven for he causes his son, it's his, he owns it, right? How cool is that? He causes his son to rise every day on both good and evil people. Um, also the... Uh, well, yeah, it could also just be evil and good in general. Maybe not even good people or evil people, but just evil and good as a concept. The sun rises on evil and good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So now what we're seeing is that God actually sheds light on everybody. And again, back to this concept of grace, what we're seeing is that God offers these grace, these are called common graces, right? It's something that all men get to enjoy, right? Like the sun on your face, right? Or the rain uh, that kind of gives us our food and waters our crops, right? Or a good cup of coffee, right? These are common graces, something that everybody gets to enjoy. And these common graces, they do not discriminate against who you are. In fact, they don't even discriminate against people that don't like the grace, like, I'm sure that there are people that don't like the sun. I don't know anyone like that, but I'm sure that there's somebody, right? People will complain about something, I'm sure. So if, if, even if you don't like the sun, it's still going to rise and shine on you, right? Even if you don't like the rain, it's still going to fall on you. You're still going to reap the benefits, even if you don't want it. Just like a light on a lampstand, if you don't want the light on, it doesn't care it's going to shine on you anyways. And what Jesus is saying is that just as the sun, it shines on everyone and it does not discriminate on who it hits. Just as the rain, it rains on everybody and it does not discriminate on who it hits. So also your love will not discriminate and it will go out to everybody. Your love, the, the love of his disciples is going to be as repeatable, as reliable as the sun rising or the rain falling. It's something that is as, uh, as natural to 
the sons of the Father in heaven as the sun rising or a lamp shining on everyone in the house. And this, this, is, this is where we get, kind of got into that first point where we were talking about how, how loving our enemies and, uh, and praying for our persecutors, it reflects the nature of our God and our Father. And if we are children of God and God gives good graces, he gives good gifts, gifts we don't deserve, common graces, he gives these graces freely and he doesn't discriminate. How much more should we also give those gifts and not discriminate. And to make this point even more clear, I want us to take us to Romans. Romans 5, 6 through 11. And Paul says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, same word, openly hostile, we were actually seeking the destruction, we were animated by our hatred toward while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we, are, we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What Paul is talking about here is very much the same idea that God shines his son. He gives common graces to all people. He doesn't discriminate. But what's more is, is our love really like the sun rising? And the point is, well, it doesn't matter because God, our father in heaven, if we are his children, our father does this. Our father loves his enemies. And that's only good news because that offers you salvation and it offers me salvation. We know that God loves his enemies because he loves me. We know that God, he, he gives and he, he, he goes above and beyond to offer benefits to his enemies because he's saved our souls. And we were actively enemies against him while we were enemies. He didn't wait for us to get better. He made us better. And this, this is what's, what's being communicated. And that's what Jesus is saying is that you, you have to understand when we're playing with live ammo, if you really want to be a child of God, if you, if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, if you want your righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees, this is what this looks like. Be like your father. And just like kids, when they play, they dress up like their parents, right? And it's this fun game to play, but in doing so, they actually start to develop as they play, and this, there's this phenomenon, C.S. Lewis talks about this phenomenon of as kids actually pretend to be adults, they actually become adults. Their minds actually develop as they play. And so when they're pretending to be like their parents, they actually start becoming like their parents. And there's this phenomenon that we see when we actually imitate our father in heaven, when we actually imitate Christ, 
when we love our enemies, we actually start being shaped into the image of Christ. And that's actually our next point. The next point is loving our enemies and praying for our persecutors. It shapes us into the image of Christ. So not only do we reflect the nature of our Father and our God, not only do we shine this light in a dark world, not only do we show the world who our God is, but we also begin to be shaped into the image of Christ. And I just want to skip to the very last verse to talk about this. Matthew 5, 48. And this, uh, this very short verse is very loaded. It says, therefore, after he just got done saying, um, if you love the people that you love, good for you. Tax collectors do that, right? You want to live to their standards? Go ahead, right? You want to play by kingdom rules? This is what's expected of you, Right? And then he also gets into, if you greet your brother and sister um, and, uh, and you don't greet anyone else, good for you. Gentiles do that, okay? You want to play by their rules, go ahead. But you want to play by kingdom rules, uh, you greet everyone. You love your enemies. And then here he says, therefore, because of all this, therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And as you, as you read this, right, again, like this is, this is live ammo. This is, this is the expectation. Now, how do we do this? And obviously the answer is you don't. You can't be perfect, okay? Sorry if that lets anyone down. But that's just not the case. It's just not in the cards for you to be perfect on this side of eternity. There is a time when we will be perfected, and this is called glorification, This happens when we get new bodies on a new heaven, new earth, and everything is new and everything is perfect and everything is, is, uh, we are in perfect communion with each other, perfect communion with creation, and perfect communion with our God and our Savior. This will happen. And this is the hope that we have. And this is the hope that we live for. But as of right now, this seems heavy. What's interesting about this uh, is that, and this is, it's, it's a great way to translate this. This is a great translation in that you shall be perfect. Um, but what's happening behind, in, uh, behind this translation in the Greek is that this is actually in the future tense. There, are, there is a way to actually put something in, in what's called the imperatival sense, where it's an, it's an imperative, it's a command, right? And Jesus chose not to, use this word. He, did, he chose not to use the imperatival sense. This isn't a command, but it is in the future sense. Now, what I don't want you to think is that future tenses can also have imperatival force, right? They can have a force to, uh, to be a command, right? In that it's, it will happen. There's a, certain, there's a certainty behind it. And this is how someone would communicate a command that's intended to be executed into the future, right? And so that is what's happening here. So I don't want you to think that this isn't a command. This absolutely is a command. However, it's a very unique way to do this. He could have just told you, be perfect. But he didn't. He said, you shall be perfect. 
And it's almost as if this is a command and a promise, isn't it? And we see this hope even in what Jesus is giving to us where there is, there is something that you, just, you will always strive for. There is this high calling that we will always be striving for. And there will, there will be this, this mountain that you will constantly be climbing for the rest of your spiritual life. But trust me, you'll get there. And this, this is where the, the, the weight, it, it stays heavy, but it also becomes bearable, doesn't it? Well, we know we can't do it, but at the same time, we can trust that our father who causes even good graces, uh, common graces to fall on all mankind, we can trust that that father is going to give his children even better gifts. And I want us to go to 1 John 4, so we can talk about this and how, how it is that when we love our enemies and when we pray for our persecutors, we are shaped into the image of Christ. And 1 John 4, 11 through 13, um, and I really wanted to like read this whole chapter, but I just figured we, well, we're out of time. So <laughs> we're just gonna do 11 through 13. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we remain in him and he in us because he has given to us of his spirit. And what's so interesting about this is it talks about how how God, his love is perfected in us. And I've talked about this word perfected before, and this is also in play here, is this word perfected is teleos. It's like finished, it's completed, right? It's not that it was incomplete before or that it was like lacking something, but this is what its goal or its intention was, right? It's, it's fulfilled its purpose, right? It's like crossing the line in a race, right? Where the race may still be going on, but you have fulfilled the purpose of running, and so his love is perfected in us. What is this love? How is it perfected? It's, it's found its home in you. This is where God's love belonged all along, right? And it's almost as if God, he just, he, he couldn't wait to perfect us to get you his love. He had to get it to you now. And in so doing, it says, and so we ought to love one another because God loved us. Not because we loved him, but because he loved us. And no one's ever seen God. And so if we love one another, God remains in us. No one's seen God, but he can see the love in you. And not just your love for the saints, but also your love for your enemies. And when we do this, God's love is perfected. It's finished. It does what it's supposed to do. It's home in us. And by this, we know that we remain in him and he in us. Again, here is this this image where we, as we are in him and he is in us and he is in the father, we become become shaped into the image of Christ. We become pressed into who he is. And we begin to reflect our savior. And then Galatians 5 our last verse, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. John left us with this idea that we know we can trust that this is a case because he's given us his spirit. In Galatians 5, it says, but I say, 
walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And what this is communicating, and this is, this is massive to this conversation, is that loving your enemies and praying for those who oppress you indiscriminately, everybody, you don't get to choose. It's a common grace. It's like the sun in the sky, your love for other people. If you are to hope to even get close to this, set your mind on Christ. Chase Christ. That's the only hope that we have. And if we seek to do this out of our flesh, earlier in Galatians, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who, who bewitched you? Who told you that what the spirit began in you, you're going to finish in your flesh. And here in Galatians, he says, if you, if you really want to do the things of the spirit, then walk in the spirit. Set your minds on Christ. No longer like the Pharisees, do we have to try to white knuckle our way through the law, but we just, we just do it because it's the spirit in us. And this is something where we we are shaped into the image of Christ and it's not something that you're doing, it's something that the Spirit is doing. And it's not doing it because of you, but it's actually doing it because of Christ. This this is the power of Christ in us and this is the power of what Christ has given to us. And this this is the Sermon on the Mount, right? This is what my disciples look like. And don't worry about doing it because I'll do everything for you in the same way that Christ loved his enemies, us. We too now get to love our enemies. And we do this not because we're better or not because we're, we're somehow uh, perfected, but because Christ in us is causing this love to flow out to all of us. He's causing us to be shaped into the image of a child of God. And when we're children of God, we share or we reflect rather the nature of our father. And when we reflect the nature of our father, we shine a light into a dark world. So we cannot neglect this. We cannot flake from this is that when we love indiscriminately all people, right? And again, this doesn't mean that we don't call out sin. This doesn't mean that we don't rebuke the people that we love. In fact, we should rebuke the people that we love, but we do this in love, So as we go throughout our lives and as we, we try to execute this high calling that Christ is calling us to, as we, as we reflect on the, on, the, on the high call of what, uh, what the Sermon on the Mount is, I want to encourage you to not get distracted by the tasks at hand, but only focus on the person that allows us to do the tasks at all. Let's stay focused on Christ Let's walk in the spirit and allow the spirit and allow the person of Jesus Christ to shape us into the person that he always intended us to be. And as we do this, we allow the love of God to be perfected in us, to find its home in all of us. Let's go ahead and pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.